This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. La 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 la. <coughs> Three, two, one. Nā mihi nui and welcome to Elemental from RNZ. I'm Alison Balance. And I'm Alan Blackman from the Auckland University of Technology. And we are up to episode 60, which is plutonium. And yes, I know we said at the start of this series that we were going to keep away from the transuranium elements, as we did pretty much all of them in the Berkelium and the Heavyweights episode way back in episode 9. Uh, but this one is interesting, so it deserves its own episode. Now, those heavyweights that we did back with Berkelium were all synthetic elements, many of which have existed only fleetingly. Plutonium is also a manufactured element? Mostly, yes, but there are very, very small trace amounts of it in nature. So, vital statistics, uh, plutonium, elemental symbol PU, we'll talk more about that later, and atomic number 94, so that puts this in the actinides down the bottom of the periodic table. Where did it get its name from? Well, in 1940, it was named after the then planet Pluto, and that was relatively recently discovered, I think, 1937 from memory. Can't help Um, you on that one, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Astronomy's not my thing. So it got its name following on from the two elements immediately prior to it on the periodic table, uranium for Uranus and neptunium for Neptune. So plutonium was then the obvious name for the next element. One wonders, because of the fact that somebody decided that Pluto's not a planet anymore, would we still call it plutonium today? At least they didn't downgrade the chemical element when they downgraded poor Pluto (laughs) as a planet. Indeed. I think Pluto should be reinstated as a planet. Anyway, there were, in fact, alternative names considered by uh, the great Glenn Seaborg and uh, others on the Discovery team, and they said that they could call it perhaps Ultimium, or extremium, because they thought that, in fact, this was going to be the last possible element on the periodic table. I think that was a little premature. (laughs) As we now know, 94 is a very long way from being the last element, given the 118 elements that we have today. Okay, so a little bit of history. Where did it come from? Well, it's a synthetic element, and it was first made in 1940 at Berkeley. Glenn Seaborg was one of the team of uh, workers who were involved in its discovery, and he, in fact, went on to win a Nobel Prize for doing a lot of this sort of chemistry, and he also had another transuranium element actually named after him, which is element 106 Seaborgium, chemical symbol SG. Which we covered in that Berkelium episode way back. We (laughs) did. How did they make it? They bombarded a uranium isotope, U-238, with deuterons, which is heavy hydrogen. Uh, 
And what this gives is an isotope of Neptunium, 238 Neptunium, and then that undergoes beta decay to give Plutonium-238. So they were pretty excited by this, and they were all set to publish, but uh, then they withdrew the paper uh, until, in fact, uh, just after the end of the war, when they realised uh, the importance of one particular isotope of plutonium, and this was uh, plutonium-239. So the discovery wasn't actually announced until 1945. So what did they think they would gain by not announcing that they'd found it? The isotope plutonium-239 is a rare example of what is called a fissile isotope. Other fissile isotopes that uh, we know of are uranium-233 and uranium-235, And what can fissile isotopes do? They can sustain a chain reaction when they are split by thermal neutrons. And by thermal neutrons, we mean very slow-moving neutrons. And if you can get a chain reaction going, that then means that you can get nuclear energy or nuclear weapons. Take your pick. So by 1945, the USA had, in fact, made several kilograms of plutonium, and that was enough to make bombs. And make bombs they surely did. Yeah, and interestingly, the first atomic bomb, the one that was tested that was called Trinity, was in fact a plutonium bomb. I I was under the impression it was uranium, as was the Fat Man bomb, and that was the second atomic bomb that was uh, dropped on Nagasaki. So the former uh, Trinity bomb used around about six kilograms of plutonium and released energy equivalent to around about 20,000 tonnes of TNT. I mean, it's just astonishing how much energy is contained in the atomic nucleus. It never fails to amaze me. So, obviously, the metal is uh, dangerous in this respect, but not only is it uh, radioactive, it's also toxic as well, as because it's a heavy metal, and a lot of heavy metals are toxic. Rather frighteningly, tests on the toxicity of plutonium were actually carried out on human subjects in the years 1945 to 1947 to test the dangers of working with it. And these are detailed in a Los Alamos report that can be found on the web, if you have a nosy around for that. I I don't think they get ethics approval for this today, but they used both healthy and terminally ill patients. And what they found was that plutonium is in fact retained in the body, and around about two-thirds of it go into the bone, and one-fifth of it goes into the liver. I feel very sorry for those human guinea pigs. I know. But now I think we've all got traces of plutonium in us, thanks to those bombs. Uh, Yes, that's very probably true, but just in the same way as we all contain two or three molecules of Mozart's last breath. But uh, that's a topic for another day. That's right. And the dinosaurs. Don't forget the dinosaurs. <laughs> so plutonium, yes, it's, it's certainly becoming more common. So way back in the 40s, they started with micrograms of the stuff. And now it's estimated that there are over around about 1,000 tonnes of the metal on the planet. And a lot of this sadly bound up in nuclear weapons and things like that. Yes, I imagine it's being stockpiled by the nuclear nations. Yes, you're probably not wrong, sadly. Um, And there's even, in fact, some plutonium on the moon, of all places. So Apollo 14 left some instruments up there, and they are being powered by uh, plutonium-238. And, in fact, plutonium-238 is very useful as a power source because of the fact that it gives out a really large amount of heat uh, when it undergoes radioactive decay. And so for this reason, it's a very, very useful material to power spacecraft. And so, in fact, 10.9 kilos of plutonium dioxide got the New Horizons probe all the way to Pluto a few years ago. Oh, nice one. Nice one. (laughs) Pluto-plutonium. Yes, yes. 
And of course, the Voyager spacecraft, which have both left the solar system, also powered by plutonium as well. So they are eventually going to fail, but uh, not for a few years yet. Um, and really, really interesting, they've actually put plutonium in pacemakers, of all things. I'm not sure how I'd feel about having a chest full of plutonium, but we're told that as long as it is well shielded, it is in fact safe. And if it's going to keep your heart beating, that's got to be a good thing. Yep, I'd take that, I think. <laughs> we talked about uh, the fact that you can either have uh, nuclear power or nuclear weapons. Uh, the nuclear power side of things, obviously plutonium is used in nuclear power stations to produce electricity. And, uh, in fact, the vast majority of electricity from nuclear power is produced by nuclear fission of both uranium and plutonium. Except not here in New Zealand, where we are <laughs> largely Amen. hydroelectric. Amen. <laughs> now, any closing interesting facts, Professor? Well, this is kind of interesting, because plutonium, you would think its elemental symbol would perhaps be PL, but Glenn Seaborg apparently chose PU because it sounded like it smelled bad. P-U. <laughs> Apparently. And none of the other chemists realised this little joke until it was too late? Indeed. Nice one, Glenn. <laughs> this has been episode 60 of Elemental, and if you want to know more about the other heavy synthetic elements, then look out for Berkelium and the Synthetic Heavyweights, episode 9, either on your usual podcast app or at rnz.co.nz slash chemistry. And we are back next time with polonium. But until then, thanks for your company and catch you again soon. I'm Alan Blackman. And I'm Alison Balance. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.